Hi, I'm Sophia. And I'm Jen. And you're listening to Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedies seriously. This week on Every Rom-Com, we're continuing the time travel and time loop series with a Jennifer Garner rom-com favorite. We'll talk about 80s nostalgia, body swap movies, and women's magazines. And we'll discuss our own adolescent years and what we would have done if we'd suddenly woken up 30, flirty, and thriving as we talk about the 2004 time travel rom-com 13 Going on 30. Sophia. Hi, Jen. How you been? Oh, I've been very busy, but I'm very excited to be here recording with you because for a while we've had guests and I love having guests on the program and we're going to have more guests coming up in the following weeks. But like, I like yeah. to go old school and just like do an episode with just you and me. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, old times. I love it too. Have you been up to anything interesting these last few weeks or... Oh, we went up to Duluth for the day and had a lot of fun. And when we had COVID, my, oh, my husband and, and daughter had COVID. And I was walking the dog and our dear neighbor was like, "I got, we got DVDs. I got DVDs. You want some? You want some DVDs? I'm like, I think we're okay. No. She's like, and she sent me a picture of what she had, her collection. And I was like, I'll take Waiting for Guffman. And I was like, I'll take that Xanadu. And yes. I had never seen it. So I know we're going to talk about it at some point, but it was so serendipitous. But I mean, sadly, then Olivia Newton-John passed away, but I'm like, oh, just when I was going to see Xanadu for the first time. And, and that was a lot of fun. I think watching Xanadu is the best tribute to Olivia Newton-John. She is such a special presence in that movie and it would not work without her. And she sings with Gene Kelly. So if you and the listening audience have not ever watched Xanadu, please check it out. It's a 1980 over-the-top musical <laughs> where, where Olivia Newton-John plays a roller skating Greek muse. I mean, yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those parts came together, um, and it was it was magical. I have to ask, did ABG watch this movie with you? She came in the last segment um, okay. where it, it's a – you know, a plethora of songs and costumes <laughs> yes. and skates. And both of us kept going, whoa, another one. What's going on here? And she's like, this is too much for me, mama. This is just what is going on here. Yeah. I think the best segment for kids is a se sequence where Olivia Newton-John and the male star turn into like cartoon fish or something like that. Like that was amazing. Yes, so. that happened too. And we were both like, just it was one thing after another of like i can't believe this is happening <laughs> and like terrific but also like say what <laughs> and i was rolling with it but my daughter was a little like this is the most crazy thing i've ever seen so well i was exposed to that when i was five years old so that probably explains a lot about me now oh. like maybe even younger it might have been four yeah anyway you know, but that was different like I don't know. And that was what we had back then. We were like, okay, yeah, sure. But now it's, I don't know. I don't know why that's not ex a child of the now. Can't just go with that anyway. 
At any rate, rest in peace, Olivia Newton-John. Really loved rest you. Like you yes. are, as we talked about in High Fidelity, you're kind of one of my musical soulmates. You really always spoke to me and made me feel like I had a friend. So mm. yeah, she will be missed. Yeah. So this isn't really this isn't really a good segue, but that's okay. This week we're talking about 13 going on 30. And so I feel like the natural thing to talk about here in our introduction section is like, what were you like at 13 years old? Um, what were your kind of dreams? What were you up to? Oh, you go. I want to hear you. I had to look up like what year 13 was in terms of school, because I think about my memories in terms of grades. And uh-huh. I guess it would have been the eighth grade that I would have been okay. the se- like the end of the seventh grade, the beginning of the eighth grade that I was 13. And okay. so let's see, I was working on the middle school newspaper, which mm-hmm. <laughs> wasn't really a proper newspaper. It was like some uh, pieces of paper like stapled together. But like, yeah, I just did like surveys and little opinion pieces. I did film reviews. Like I would do film reviews of movies that my dad had showed me when I was a kid, like Blazing Saddles, which eventually I got in trouble for. The middle school principal was like, that movie is rated R, so you cannot put that in the paper. I was really grumpy about that. Um, oh. And let's see. I had crushes on various boys. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was around the time of, uh, well, I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to say the boys I had crushes on. (laughs) But some of them might know who they are anyway. And yeah, and then I also developed my several years long obsession with Kevin Costner after I watched dances with wolves and and this whole, I had this whole diary. Yeah. We watched it and we went as a school in the eighth grade, actually in our history class to watch dances with wolves. And I developed this like super crush on Kevin Costner. I had these like diaries that were devoted to him that that lasted until about sophomore year of high school. Right. And like, yeah, that was intense. So I didn't know that. This is oh, no? news. Yes. Oh, it, was a, it was intense, man. And I, <laughs> I think I was kind of like projecting myself into like the film character Stands with a Fist played by Mary McDonald. It wasn't so much like I thought that me, Jennifer Howell, was going to go meet Kevin Costner, the, uh-huh. the actor. It was more uh-huh. like I was wanting to be in the story of Dances with Wolves and be mm-hmm. Stands with a Fist. And then later, I wanted to be Maid Marian in like Robin Hood, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was a whole thing. So that was my, my eighth grade. I was really into newspaper and like forensics, which if you don't live in a state that calls it that, it's like a speaking competition. It's not like CSI. So I was doing right, like reading right. short stories for that. And I was doing like the newspaper and nerdy stuff. And and I also had a huge thing for Kevin Costner. So yeah, that was me. Wow. How about you? 13. Oh, golly. So... If that's if that's like seventh eighth grade, you know I think that's uh, we were doing a lot of roller skating at the skate oh, barn nice. on Friday nights, and yeah, at that time of life when like parents gave you money and dropped you off, and then like <laughs> you spent you know a couple hours at the skate rink, and I was cheerleading in junior oh, high. Oh, okay, yeah, you know very small school, and like like you could just be on it. There was no like. <laughs> any kind of uh tryouts or whatever but that was fun um i was just awkward i, I mean oh, yeah, not, me too. I, it was like awkward awkward looking like i didn't really you know, like come into my my womanly beauty to like way late in college so um you know i had many a crush yeah but there was no there was no anything happening do you remember fortnightly was it called fortnightly I know at the YMCA. 
I, I okay, I avoided stuff like that because I was such a I was also awkward and I was also really unpopular in middle school. So I whenever I could avoid being around other teenagers in a setting that wasn't related to an extracurricular activity, I avoided it. Like okay. unless they were my friends that I trusted, like Jenny Wozniak or something. But like, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, I'm I'm going to avoid being humiliated. <laughs> but like, tell me, what is this fortnightly? There were, I don't know if it was called fortnightly, but there was like an I think like a Friday or set fri- probably Friday night where you could go to the Y and you just like played around and like mm. there was. Sp- but all I remember it was just like sitting around and like watching and talking and we did that for a while. I wasn't playing like basketball or anything in the gym and like yeah. people running around and being crazy and stuff like that. I don't know where the grown-ups were. I don't know where the supervision was, to be honest. I cannot recall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but again, parents just drop you up, bye. And like somehow like no, you know, no cell phones, no way to like come pick me up. It was just an agreed upon time. And, you know, there they showed up again and then you left. I wild. Yeah. So. I mean, that seems, sounds good to me really, but yeah, I, yeah. I think, yeah. In terms of my out of school life, I, I, sp- I still spend a lot of time with my family, my mom and my brother, especially I went to yeah. movies. I started going to movies by myself cause I was like taller than all the other kids really. Uh-huh. And like, I, but the advantage of that, like I got teased all the time for at school, but the advantage of it is out in the world, I could get into R rated movies at the movie theater. And nobody paid any attention to me. Cause like, nice. first of all, Eighth graders don't usually go to movies by themselves, right? Especially mm-hmm. not art films. And like, and also I was tall. So yeah, that was good. And um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But I remember like awkwardness, like you're saying all the time, especially middle school dances. Oh my God. Like I occasionally tried to go to some of them. And I just remember a lot of like watching people I was interested in dance with other people. And like, I wasn't brave enough yet to ask guys to dance with me. I, uh-huh. d- I didn't get that brave until like maybe later in high school, but like, yeah, it was, it was, it was hard. Yeah. Nobody yeah. asked me. I was too tall. Right. I was, yeah. Uh, I was kind of funny looking and uh, uh, maybe I did ask people, but then got rejected and then like never Aww. did it again. So um, yeah, uh, it hurts so much at that age. It, it hurts does, so much. It does. It does. Oh, well. So I guess. In some ways, I can relate to Jenna Rink's character in this movie, although I will talk about ways I don't relate to her later, too. But yeah, mm-hmm. like definitely the awkwardness and the school photo scene near the beginning of the movie. Oh, my God. Awesome. I think actually, Sophia, if you have anything like that, I think we should get our 13 year old yeah. photos together yeah. for promo for That's this. True. I think it would be hysterical. 100 <laughs> percent. I'm sure my hair is like moosed out and sprayed <laughs> up really big hair. It's going to be awesome. All right, we'll try to we'll try to find some some pics of our eighth grade self or our seventh grade self to to share with you listeners, and yeah, yeah, it'll be great. So before we get started with today's episode, just a reminder: as usual, we'll have a spoiler-free section at the beginning of the episode, and we will let you know when the spoiler section begins. And we'd also like to remind you that you can follow the podcast on social media. Our Facebook page is Every Romcom Podcast and Blog. Our Instagram is at Every Romcom. And our Twitter handle is at Every Romcom Pod. And as always, you can find the podcast at everyromcom.com. Send us feedback at feedback at everyromcom.com. And if you like what you hear, please come and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or on any other platform where you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And now let's listen to the trailer for 13 Going on 30.
Jenna Rink couldn't grow up fast enough. Smile, sweetie. Don't you knock? Are you wearing a bra? You're not ready Dad, for stop a bra. taping. So on her 13th birthday, Chip is up. Wishing dust. She only made one wish. I hate being 13. I just want to be grown up. And she woke up 17 years later. Hey, sweet Bob. Hey, sweet Bob. You're naked. Not yet. Something really freaky is happening here. I slept in an apartment I've never seen before. There was a naked man in my shower and I saw his... She's got a lot of catching up to do. Repeat after me. I am Jenna Rank, Big Time Magazine Editor. I am? Eminem's on the phone. He wants a decision now. Plane. Peanut. Today is, the first day. is there anything else you need from me? Actually, I need to find this guy. Man, it's me. Jenna, why are you here? Yesterday was my 13th birthday. And today, I woke up and I'm this. There's something really weird going on. April 23rd, one woman will discover... I like your dress. It's because I've got these incredible boobs to fill it out. She's truly a kid at heart. It's 11 o'clock on a school night and I'm at a party. It's so cool. It's 11 o'clock and people are leaving. Maybe if somebody played something other than this. Honey, play whatever you want to. Maddie, it's Thriller! Revolution Studios presents. You want to know a secret? Yeah. You're the sweetest guy I've ever known. And I just floated home in a cloud. That is so romantic. Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo. 13, going on 30. Mr. Hottie behind you is totally scamming on you. Should I go talk to him? I actually came over here because I think you're really cute. So do you want to go out sometime? Uh, we're going to take off now. What, do you want to go to jail? I'm a bad guy. The man? Gross. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, and there are so many songs in that trailer that weren't in the movie, so I'm just, like, mystified by that. But oh well. Like, this is how it always is. It just must be that the music yeah. supervisor gets the music together kind of, like, later in the game is probably what just happens. I, yeah, I think, yes, that's exactly right. Anyway, 13 Going on 30 was released April 23rd, 2004, was directed by Gary Winnick. It was written by Josh Goldsmith and Kathy Yuspa, and it stars Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo, and Judy Greer. It takes place in 1987, and Jenna Rink is about to turn 13. She has a best friend named Matt, but she wants to become part of the popular group at her school that's called the Six Chicks and date a popular boy. At her birthday party, the Six Chicks humiliate Jenna, but then she blames Matt on it for her, her humiliation. And she makes a wish to become 30, flirty, and thriving, which was a phrase she saw in um, her favorite women's magazine. And Jenna wakes up in the future as her 30-year-old self, now the editor at Poise, that very same women's magazine. And she gradually realizes that the choices she made have not necessarily made her happy. Okay, so there's a lot of interesting things about this movie. Uh, first of all, the producers for this movie were majority women, with Gina Matthews getting the main screen credit, 
And generally, I would go into some more background on these producers and cast and crew, but we're trying something new at every rom-com. We're trying to gradually make the show shorter again. So if you have <laughs> feedback on that, if you like the really long shows, please send us that feedback. But I suspect shorter shows are better for most people. So the role of Jenna Rink was the first role that Jennifer Garner was offered directly without being asked to audition for it or having to go out for it and try for it. And she fits it perfectly, I think. Mm -hmm. Mark Ruffalo was their first choice, but he almost didn't take the role because he didn't consider himself a good dancer and he didn't want to do the thriller dance sequence <laughs> that's in the movie. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. He was legitimately not loving it the day they filmed that. So... And then Judy Greer was allowed to improvise for her part as Jenna's frenemy, Lucy. And everyone, basically the other actors, the director and the producers all had great things to say about Judy Greer's talent on this movie. Mm -hmm. Then the actress who plays young Jenna, Krista B. Allen. So I've read places that she had not acted at all before, but then in the producer's commentary, they said that she had done like a role on a TV show, but she did not have much experience. But she was chosen because of like, an actually uncanny resemblance to pictures of Jennifer Garner when she was young. Like if you go and seek these out, it is, it is nuts. They look like, they look kind of like twins at that age. So wow. that's interesting. They don't now like older Krista B. Allen, I guess she's kind of a TikTok personality now and she okay. doesn't look that much like Jennifer Garner, but as kids. Yeah. So then Krista B. Allen then was again asked to reprise a role as young Jennifer Garner in Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, and Garner's the one who recommended her for that role. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And But at one point, this almost didn't happen for Krista B. Allen, because initially there was a point where they actually considered having Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner and Judy Greer, I guess, play their 13-year-old selves. Like, kind of, like, mm -hmm. it would have been kind of like that Pen15 show, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It would have been a choice. I don't know if it would have been a good choice. I, I'm glad they scrapped it. Yeah, it would have been a choice. And I like the choice they went with using kids. Yeah, there's already enough to distract you in this movie that seems kind of unrealistic without adding that element on top of everything else. Yeah. So I've kind of given up too on doing a Marvel rom-com series, like a series where we cover all these different movies where there's actors who are in the MCU in these rom-coms. And the main reason I've done that is because these days it seems like with the new phase of the MCU everyone is eventually going to be in the MCU. So mm -hmm. it's, it's starting to seem kind of ridiculous. But in terms of the early phases of the MCU, this movie has a ton of MCU actors in it. So we have Mark Ruffalo, obviously, who played the Hulk. Judy Greer, who played Ant-Man's ex-wife. Then Andy Serkis is in the movie. He played Ulysses Claw in Age of Ultron and Black Panther. And I didn't realize this one um, before I was reading up on it some more. Brie Larson is actually in this movie as one of the six chicks. So Brie Larson, who played Captain Marvel, plays one of the other six chicks. And so weird. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And Jennifer Garner actually also played a Marvel character, but not during the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe period. She played Elektra in the movies Daredevil and Elektra. So... Okay, so then according to Mental Floss, Jennifer Garner hung out with adolescent girls to prepare for her role. And she said about it, quote, a kid of 13 can seem like an adult, but that can be deceptive. You always have to remember they are also incredibly vulnerable, skittish and childlike. Finding that balance was challenging. 
And mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good insight. And I think Garner yeah. shows her prep work in the role. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And the movie had an estimated budget of 37 million and a worldwide gross of 96 million. So, like so many rom coms that we've covered, it made a good profit. And then Mark Ruffalo and Jennifer Garner recently worked together again on the 2022 time travel Netflix movie, The Adam Project. And you're going to tell us a little bit about that towards the end of the show, I think. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Let me ask you, did you see this film in the theaters or no? 13 going on 30. I did not see it in the theaters, I don't think. 2004... I mean, I was that was the year like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Garden State and be, I believe also before Sunset came out, right? That was like a oh. that was like an indie film year for me. I saw you know, all I in- those in the theater. I saw all of those in the theater and this one. And I didn't like this one as much. Those indie ones were hot. They were great. Yeah. Um and this yeah, yeah rom com wasn't so great around this time or like or or in my in my realm of quality, I suppose. See, I still liked rom-com. I still liked rom-coms around this time, but I would usually like wait to get them like on video or something okay. like that. But I, I did yeah. see this movie somewhere around the time it came out. I'm pretty sure. And what were your thoughts I of just, it? Did you like it or no? I mean, I was for me, I liked it, but I didn't love it. So it was kind of like maybe a 3.5 out of 5 for me. You know, it was kind uh-huh. of like one of those movies that like I will watch it if it's on TV but uh-huh. like, I won't seek it out kind of a movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I think Mark Ruffalo was a huge selling point for me. I've always liked him mm-hmm. and I, and I've always thought he was cute too. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and like the eighties vibe was still working for me. You know, the, the wedding singer kind of brought to the forefront and then this is sort of playing on that a little bit too, but yeah. you, you really didn't like it, huh? Like, was it kind you of know, like you saw uh- it then and then you didn't rewatch it kind of a thing? Correct. That is absolutely correct. I haven't watched it since then. And everyone's like, oh, I just love it. And I'm like, eh. you know, I actually this time around, perhaps liked it more, like embraced mm. some of the things that were cute about it a little bit better. Um, but there's still bits of it where I'm like, I still don't buy that. Like, I don't yeah. know if you I still don't think anybody dreams about being 30. You know, I've always had a problem with that. Like when I thought of and think about growing up and the milestones you want to hit, like nobody's talking about 30. I can't wait to be 30. It's like, yeah, yeah, we can five. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. We can talk about that more. We get to that section because I have, yeah, things to say as well. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good. But you were also though, you were a Jennifer Garner fan though. You watched Alias. Did you watch, you watched Alias at that time? Yes, yes. That was a weekly like gather around the TV and me and my roommate Sarah would like reenact fight scenes and we were doing stuff. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had no investment in Jennifer Garner. I think this might have even been the first thing I'd seen her in. So like I don't know, like it's funny like I ended up liking it, but you who had this investment in Jennifer Garner, you were like, mm-hmm. "Nope." Like <laughs> Yeah, maybe that was part of it. Like I just loved that you know, alias characters. So to see her in this one, it was okay. It was okay. And yeah, Mark Ruffalo is adorable and their chemistry was good. And I liked, well, we can get more into it later. Let's get more into that later about like the story and things like that. After we talk a little bit about our dear friend, (laughs) she's our friend. She's my friend in my dreams. um, Jennifer Gardner. Uh, She got her start in TV and her first credit is for a TV movie called Zoya. 
1995. Um, in 97, she appeared in uh, smaller roles in a number of films, including Washington Square. And in 2000, she had a supporting role in Dude, Where's My Car? Um, <laughs> Dude, Where's My Car? Uh, she, next, she appeared in the Party of Five spinoff, Time of Your Life, from 1999 to 2001, and um, in the movie Pearl Harbor in 2001. And as we've said, her breakout role was playing the lead character, Sydney Bristow, on the popular TV show Alias from 2001 to 2006. She received four Emmy nominations for that role. Her other roles before 13 going on 30 include parts in Catch Me If You Can and Daredevil. Her roles since 13 going on 30 include playing the romantic lead in rom-coms, Catch and Release, Ghost of Girlfriends Past, the Invention of Lying, Valentine's Day, and Arthur, as well as appearing in supporting roles in the rom-coms Juno and Love, Simon. Other non-rom-com roles since 13 Going on 30 include Electra, The Kingdom, Dallas Buyers Club, The Tribes of Palos Verdes, and the TV shows Camping and Llama Llama. Gardner also appeared in a 2017 movie called A Happening of Monumental Proportions, directed by 13 Going on 30 co-star and real-life friend Judy Greer. Recently, Gardner appeared in the films Yesterday in 2021 and The Adam Project in 2022, reuniting her with uh, her 13 Going on 30 co-star Mark Ruffalo. And she has several projects in pre-production, including a movie called Fantasy Camp and a, a TV series called My Glory Was I Had Such Friends. Gardner also has one directing credit for an episode of Alias and several producing credits, uh, starting with Alias in 2005 through 2006. So Mark Ruffalo is kind of, I'm oh, clapping. we have some applause. We have some applause for the existence of Mark Ruffalo. I mean, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I love him. I love so him. first, yeah, and first of all, since we're from Wisconsin and, and several of us on the podcast are from Wisconsin, it is my duty to say that Mark Ruffalo was born and spent his childhood in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which yes. he referred to in one interview as K-Town. <laughs> so <laughs> that's funny. I was not aware that was a thing calling Kenosha K-Town, but I guess it is now. Um, so yeah, he spent his childhood in Kenosha, but then his family moved to Vir Virginia Beach, Virginia in his teens. And then eventually he moved to California. But in a 2019 interview where he said it was, he called it K-Town, he said that a lot of his family actually still lives in Kenosha. I think some of them had moved back and, mm -hmm. and others were still there. So yeah, Wisconsin boy in many ways. I love it. So Ruffalo is from Wisconsin, but he did not begin his career here in any way. He co-founded a theater company before he got into film and worked in theater. And then he got into TV and film in the mid 90s. So it took a while, though, for Mark Ruffalo to get a breakout. His first real breakout role was in 2000. He played Laura Linney's brother in the movie You Can Count on Me, which was directed by Kenneth Lonergan. And a re the reason he got this role, apparently, was that he had previously, in 1996, uh, appeared in an off-Broadway play by Kenneth Lonergan, This Is Our Youth. So, yeah, like that theater work then came back to benefit him four years later with this film role. So that's nice. pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And then other roles before 13 going on 30 included The Last Castle, XXXY, Wind Talkers, My Life Without Me, In the Cut, which 
is a Jane Campion film, which is not one of my double features because the tone is so different, but you should see in the cut if you haven't, especially if you want sexy Ruffalo. I'm telling you. Okay. That is some sexy Ruffalo. Do not watch it with ABG because it's also like really (laughs) R-rated. Okay. Uh Sure thing. Sure but thing. But Meg, Meg Ryan is in it as well. And yeah, it's a different I remember, side of her too. I remember, I remember seeing it, the cover and whatnot, and uh, you know, it not being a typical Meg Ryan role. I was like, yeah. what's going on here? And But I love Jane Campion, so mm-hmm. what the heck, Soph? Yeah. And Mark Ruffalo. And Mark and Ruffalo. And Meg Ryan, presumably. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Yes, yes. Okay, and then the last one on the list of things before 13 going on 30, he had a supporting role in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And then Ruffalo's other films in the 2000s included Collateral, Just Like Heaven, Rumor Has It, and Zodiac. And then in the 2010s, Ruffalo began playing the Hulk in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, starting with the Avengers in 2012. And then he went on to appear in Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Avengers Infinity War, Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And now he's about to appear in the Marvel TV series She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And so that's coming up. It might actually be out by the time this podcast is released. So, And he was also a voice actor for the MCU animated series What If. So he has done a lot of work in the MCU. He's a big presence there. Um, both uh, literally and figuratively, given his character. Uh, so, sorry, Hulk joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then Ruffle, Ruffalo in the 2010s has also had an impressive career outside of the MCU, of course. He's been in The Kids Are All Right, Shutter Island, Now You See Me, and the sequel to that, Begin Again, Spotlight, and one of my personal favorites, Dark Waters. And then recently in 2020, he appeared in the TV series I Know This Much Is True, playing the dual leading roles of a man and his twin who suffers from severe mental illness. Ruffalo also recently appeared, of course, in The Adam Project, which we already mentioned. And yeah, he's got the She-Hulk Attorney at Law coming up. And he has several other movies in the works. So there's a Victorian era movie called Poor Things, which is in post-production, which looked very intriguing. I love anything in the Victorian era. So there you go. And Victorian Ruffalo. Yeah. I'm just going to start calling him Ruffs though. Okay. Like that's my nickname for him in our, in our house, we call him Ruffs or the Ruffs. So Victorian Ruffs, I'm going to be into that. (laughs) (laughs) And he's also currently filming the movie Mickey seven with Oscar winning Korean director Bong Joon-ho. And he's in pre-production on a drama called newsflash as well. So Ruffalo continuing to have like a fantastic career. Love it. Love him. For more information on Judy Greer, who plays Jenna's frenemy Lucy or Tom Tom in the movie, check out every rom-com episode 40 on The Wedding Planner. And then other notable actors in the film include Andy Serkis as Jenna's boss at Poise Magazine, Kathy Baker as Jenna's mom, Krista B. Allen as young Jenna, and Sean Marquette as young Matt. So yeah, great little cast here. Yep. All right, let's get into the movie. So we're doing a variety of time travel and time loop movies in this series. In Somewhere in Time, we covered a movie where time travel takes place via self-hypnosis. Um, the time traveler in that movie remained in his own body, and he traveled to a predictable timeline with circumstances he was already aware of. He traveled to the past. But in 13 Going on 30, the time travel method is different. Jenna uses um, making a wish and this like magical wishing powder. 
And she's dealing with both like the uncertain circumstances of a future and being swapped into another body. Like it is her body, but it's her body as an adult. So it may as well Mm -hmm. be just a totally alien body. Mm -hmm. I mean, even like, think about it, even when you're an adolescent, even these changes that are happening in your body, you know, seem frightening to you. And now suddenly to be like in a totally different, fully formed adult body. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be wild. So for me, like watching this, the movie that seems kind of closest to 13 going on 30 as a possible inspiration even, and like just like in terms of the soul of the plot, is big, the Tom Hanks movie. Mm -hmm. And that movie didn't send Tom Hanks's young kid character into the future, but rather into his own future body in the present, right? So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different, and the problems are a little bit different. But like a lot of the the DNA of these movies seems the same. Have you seen Big, by the way? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So great. And then it's also, I feel like 13 Going on 30 also has kind of elements of something like a Christmas carol, because in that we have the ghost of Christmas future, where Scrooge has to confront his own life. And so Jenna's kind of confronting, you know, her future. Something I feel like is really different about this movie, though, is a lot of movies with time travel and where characters are really struggling with their own soul or decisions involve going back to your past self to kind of reflect on what your dreams once were, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this is like so opposite. This is like the younger person doesn't know what the hell she's doing. (laughs) So like one last thing, like we already mentioned big, but I think this movie has a similar feel also to some other body swap movies like Freaky Friday, like where the mom and the daughter switch bodies, like both versions or 18 again, where just characters experience being a different age because it like gives you a lot of like, you're seeing a 13 year old realize what it might actually be like to be older, basically. Uh Okay, so we find out in the opening section of the movie that the movie is set in May 26, 1987. So I would have been 10 then. So not quite as old as Jenna Rink. And I love the song choice for the opening, Head Over Heels by the Go-Go's. That's probably my favorite Go-Go's song. And you get the opening, like it's sort of like a, a bright blue with a pink glitter background, which gradually morphs into clouds, which are a backdrop for school photos. We did not have a fancy backdrop for our school photos, I don't think. No, just that kind of like gray thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But this, despite this backdrop, though, Jenna Rink at 13 years old gets like a very awkward school photo where she's like in the middle of telling the photographer something. And like, re- that is so relatable because all my school photos, um, well, almost all of them were just terribly awkward. Yeah. Do you, rem- always, do you remember yeah. school photo day? Do you remember like. For sure. Pre- preparing. Yes. Like doing my hair and trying to be. Oh, I had one year. Oh, in our school, they would pass out a little black comb for you to comb your hair <laughs> before the thing and I, I get handed this comb and I'm like are you kidding me like I've already done like what is this and I actually the the secretary at school she once said you know it was my turn to go up and she looked at me this is so a different year without the combs apparently she asked me if I did have a comb I'm like she like looked at me and like laughed and was like got a comb <laughs> and I'm like what oh my so god insulting. yeah that's yeah. crazy. There's a comb yeah. moment, by the way, in the latest Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Licorice Pizza. There's a school food photo comb moment at the beginning of the movie. So <laughs> that's, nice. that's funny. Yeah, I just I hated school picture date because there's always yeah. like so much pressure. I, mm, yeah, no. And then yeah. um, so we, we have the school photo and then we get introduced to Jenna and her best friend, Matt, who she often calls Maddie. They're just hanging out with each other. He's like a photographer 
And, but we find out quickly that Jenna wants to be what's called a six chick, which is like a member of this popular crowd. And she, she wants them to come to her birthday party, but they kind of manipulate her into doing their homework so that she'll, they'll come to her party. And she just, she goes for it. And it's, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. This is where I depart ways from Jenna Rink. Like I totally understand being awkward and like not wanting to be, you know, unpopular, but I never wanted to sell out to be popular. I never had that desire to like hang out with the popular girls because mm-hmm. They, were, they seemed kind of mean to me, right? Like, I didn't mm-hmm. want to hang out with mean people. Like, do you relate to it at all? Like, the feeling so, of kind of wanting to fit in, like, or kind of, like, giving too much of yourself, like, to fit in? Yeah, probably. I mean, I wanted to be liked, for sure. I mean, I would say myself that I perhaps felt like they were maybe just out of my league, those girls, that that crowd. But I was never, like you know, picked on by that crowd or like necessarily excluded. Oh, but I wasn't like besties. Does that, you know what I mean? So it was, it was a mutual, I really don't care about you. And maybe we'll talk in gym or whatever, but like not, not, there wasn't animosity or anything like that. I mean, I, I had my friends, man. So I was, I was totally fine. It wasn't like I was alone or anything like that. So there wasn't any like sense that you needed to like strive socially to be like, like be in their clique or anything like that. I just feel like it was never going to happen. So uh, there was no point in being like, please try like trying hard to get in that group. It wasn't necessary because again, I had my, my deep good friends. So what was like, I didn't need anything more than what I had. What I had was great. Like I loved what I had. So yeah. Like the thing I don't relate to about Jenna is that like, she is throwing herself at people who are obviously mean to her. And Matt tells her right. this, like, six yeah. chicks aren't your friends. Like, you're, yeah. you're, and, and why would you want to be one of them? He says, like, you're an original. And then she says to him, I don't want to be original. I want to be cool. It's so <laughs> sad to me. Right. And Maddie was so cool. If I had had a friend, if I had had a guy friend like Maddie when I was that age, like, sure, right. he looks a little schlumpy, but like, He's like a little photographer. He's so sweet. He's like making her gifts and crap. I would have had a hella crush on that guy. Like, yeah, I I would have been like making out with him after school. I'm sorry. Like there were no guy friends in my life like that. And if I'd had one, I would have been like, okay, you're great. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any guy friends like that? Like in high school or in middle school? Like, no, again, middle school was just too small. So it was no, nobody was, you know, hanging out. No guy friends hanging out with me. In high school, yeah, I had good guy friends, and um, I cr- I'm sure I had crushes on all of them. Um, <laughs> yeah, but like it was never, it didn't feel reciprocated. So I was just happy that they, you know, wanted to hang out with me, then thought I was funny or something. So okay, so the rest of this beginning section, we've got Matt and Jenna, the cool little kid friends, and they have this habit where one of them says, Jenna's like. Arrivederci and Matt says au revoir when they say goodbye, which is really adorable. Yeah. But back in her bedroom, Jenna's just sad. She's sitting there bemoaning. She's sad that she doesn't have breasts. She's looking at the women's magazine. She's comparing herself to the people in it. Her mom tries to explain that they are not real people. They are models. But Jenna <laughs> Jenna doesn't want to hear it. She looks at a head, headline in the magazine and says she, she wants to be 30, flirty, and thriving like this magazine headline. Yep. And yeah, here we come back to where you said that, like, who wants to be, th- who's going around saying they want to be 30 when they're 13? Yep. You don't yeah. want to be 30. You want to be that like sounded, 21. 
it sounded so why well, wouldn't like now I would be 30. Yeah, I was great when I was 30, but like when you're 13, 30 sounds so fucking old. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I was like still not believable, still a silly <laughs> hook. I don't know what to tell you. Like that doesn't doesn't work for me. Totally. My 30s were great. 30, 31, 32, 33. Awesome. I was 30 flirty and thriving. But at 13, I was not wanting to be 30. I was wanting to be like 18 or 21 or something like that. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did you have boobs when you were 13 or no? No, not not even a little. Like I I, and I do relate to Jenna's like very sad feeling about not having boobs because my mom had like big boobs and I was like, where are mine? Why do I not look like that? Like over there. <laughs> now, I, I did. I did I experiment boobs. with like stuffing my bra like Jenna does. Like, but I never uh-huh. like took that out in public. It just like okay. seemed like yeah. too risky of a proposition oh, yeah. to me. I'm like, uh-huh. yeah, like I can do this in my room and I can try to like see what it might look like. Right. But like, uh-huh. if I take this out in public, I just like, I was just like way too cautious about what could go wrong. And that was probably For a good sure. decision on my part. Yes. Yeah. You know. So you did have the boobs though. Yep, had boobs. So. How did you feel about that? I loved it. I loved having boobs. Okay, had boobs. Like I remember, Good. there's a, there's pictures of me, at least one picture, of, like being little, like seven, and like wearing like this hula girl top that's just like you know mm-hmm. a strapless bra kind of thing. And I would stuff that thing with socks and then put a shirt over it. Like I I was all about like couldn't wait to have boobs. So. Yeah. Yeah. Some girls seem really disturbed by their boobs. And part of it is because like some guys will be inappropriate towards young girls with boobs. Right. Oh, but, um, I mean, I had a little brother who was like flicking my bra and shit like that. And like, so, but um, I was also like, just go away and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. So yeah. Jen, Jen is sad about her lack of breasts and that's one of the reasons she wants to be 30, but Okay. So she's having this 13th birthday party. She is practicing the thriller dance to prepare for this party. And Maddie comes down in the basement, sees her doing this and gives her a present. He has constructed this like very elaborate dream house for her with like little tiny photographs of her and him and Rick Springfield for some reason. And like lots of little furniture and stuff. And it's adorable. And I wanted to note that this is the second time in a rom-com that we've covered where a man constructs an elaborate dollhouse as a gesture of love. The other one being the wedding planner. So there you go. And oh, okay. About the Rick Springfield thing though. Okay. So Rick Springfield, Jenna has a little crush on him. And we hear Jesse's girl in the movie a couple of times, like the producers of this movie and their commentary was like, everybody was into Rick Springfield in the eighties. And I was like, no, they weren't. And then I found out that all the producer ladies were like older than us, like maybe about eight or nine years older than us. And I'm like, yeah, that makes Uh, sense. Because were you into Rick Springfield? Were you like, oh, he's so hot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, like I can't remember if I was interested in any rock stars per se in the eighth grade, but I wasn't listening to Rick Springfield, right? Like I was, yeah, right. whatever. Well, we were a little bit after that time, but even when I was a kid in the eighties, like I saw Rick Springfield on MTV, I was like, this guy seems a little old fashioned to me. So Matt gives her this dream house, and then he also gives her wishing dust. There always has to be like this magical vehicle in these movies, right? Of course, <laughs> he gives her this like wishing dust, which basically just looks like glitter, yeah. and. And he reads off the the thing on the back of the wishing desk. This wishing desk knows what's in your heart of hearts. It will make all your dreams come true. So so it's official. I think I want to put some glitter together and write that on it and give it to someone and see what happens. (laughs) Okay. 
Have fun. Tell me what happens. Film it. I want to see what goes. <laughs> I want to see what happens there. So we come to the party and Matt is dancing to burning down the house from the talking heads. And like people are looking at him like he's weird. But like this is another thing I don't buy because like burning right. down the house, like they're like, what even is this song? I had heard that song when I was a kid. Yeah. 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 It was like apparently it was like the number and number nine. It reached number nine on the Billboard charts and it was released in July 83. So these kids would have heard this song. Like you wouldn't I don't think it was like what kids necessarily listen to that much, but it wouldn't be like considered uncool to listen to talking heads, right? For sure. Exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. so I'm not sure about these this like cool kids thing. Like are they they feel so over the top. Are they over the top <laughs> or are they really that? Were they You mean like with that? with the fashion or with their attitudes? Both. I think the fashion is over the top, but I think it's that way because it has to signify we're in the 80s, right? Okay. okay. Like, because no one really dressed that extremely or like not right. usually, right? Right. Maybe one person could and the rest tried. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah, but it, it was way less like these like leggings and like little skirts and way more like jeans, right? Like most right. people would have been wearing jeans and like maybe a glittery sweatshirt or some shit. I don't know. Right. You're right. Yeah, I, but attitude wise, I don't, I don't, I didn't spend enough time with I, people. Did do really mean things to me, and just as mean as the thing we're about to see them do. But like, I didn't spend enough time with these kind of click people to like really experience the full force. But I think I don't think the attitude and the the way they act is actually over the top, personally. So Matt's playing the talking heads, but his Tom uh, Tom of the six chicks abruptly takes his tape out of the player and replaces it with Belinda Carlisle mad about you. And I don't know how I feel about this because like, I don't want Belinda Carlisle associated with mean people who hate the talking heads. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And Belinda Carlisle was in the Go-Go's too, which is the main song that opens the movie. And like, I don't want this music to belong to the mean girls. Cause on the same tape is also crazy for you by Madonna, which is just a legitimately great song. So yeah. Anyway, they crazy for you starts up and they, they trick. They tr I don't even know how, how did they manage to trick Jenna into this too? They, trick they just Jenna say, into let's going play seven minutes in the closet or seven minutes in heaven, no, seven, seven, seven minutes in heaven. Yeah. Seven minutes in heaven. But like, why would she believe like she's in the room with all these people? They're all there. Chris Grandy's there. Everybody's there. And they're like, you know who wants to go first with you for seven minutes in heaven? It's Chris Grandy. And she's like, yeah. really? Like, how does she fall for this? Deep, wishful thinking. Maybe feeling like I have arrived. They have accepted me. <sighs> the things just, you believe when you really want it, I guess. Right? I didn't believe stuff like that. No, I know. Me neither. Me neither. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's just like to me, like all their like nothing that they've done up to this point to me would have signified these people mean well, like wish me well. So I'm just like, oh, uh, like so she goes in this closet. They say Chris Grandy's going to come in after her. But instead, the six chicks and Chris Grandy and everybody steal all her food from her party and leave. And then Matt comes back with his Casio keyboard and they say that she, Jen is waiting in the closet for you. Matt goes into the closet and Jenna's like, like, Oh, like excited and holds hands with him. And like, then she says, Oh, Chris. And Matt's like, it's me. And she's so sad. She's so miserable. And so is Matt. He's just like, ah, oh. this was a really sad, poignant moment for me in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised at what moments really struck me and made me really sad and have, you know, deep feelings. Like, yeah, this was sad. 
And then Jenna, like, instead of being comforted by Matt's presence, freaks out and blames him. She yells, I hate you. I hate me. I hate everybody. And kind of kicks him out, sits in the closet, and just repeats to herself, "She, I want to be 30, flirty, and thriving. 30, flirty, and thriving. 30, <laughs> flirty, and thriving. That is such hard dialogue to take seriously. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird. Anyway. Did you ever play Seven Minutes in Heaven? Like, I never did. Yes, I was in a closet. No one touched me. I was like, come on, let's do it. And they were like, no. I think that's probably what happened in a lot of the closets, actually. I think there was probably a lot more bravado than there was action, but. I was willing. (laughs) I was all for it. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. I wasn't even invited to the party where they played it. So there you go. All right, so Jenna wakes up um, out of her closet, and we just see like parts of the body at first, and she's woken up in bed in an apartment, and gradually we she's wearing like a sleep mask, so she doesn't see everything at first. And Jennifer Garner's acting, I feel like in this scene, I think her acting is so good. She really, I think she really embodies like the awkwardness, the confusion of not only a thirteen year old, but a thirteen year old who is time traveling into a different body. Like, what uh-huh. do you think? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Real, real good. I think she has a really great balance of like the confusion and fear, you know, a level of fear. And she makes it funny, too. You know, like there's, there's a comedic thing going on, but it's not like over the top. And even the transition of like, getting out of the house, she makes that believable. And her... Like the physical acting too. Like I, I'm not really, I didn't really write down specific things, but I just felt the physicality of like somebody who's in the body, but also like doesn't really necessarily belong to the body. She somehow conveyed mm. that. Mm-hmm. And as you said, she leaves the apartment and and she's wearing like a slip that can pass as a dress and like puts on a coat and some shoes. And she's leaving because like there's this naked some I guess a conventionally attractive guy in her apartment who's who she's like terrified of. <laughs> Outside she runs into Judy Greer playing Lucy, the we find out later the grown-up version of Tom Tom. And like at first I thought Judy Greer was playing like her assistant, but I guess she's another editor, but she's acting kind of like subservient to to yeah. um I think they both have the same job title. I think Andy Circus later describes them as both having the same job title. So that confused me. That's very confusing. And then once she gets to the once she gets in the car with Lucy slash Tom Tom, she finds out that she is a magazine editor. And they, we find out also the magazine Poise has a problem. The rival magazine Sparkle has been stealing all of their ideas, and their circulation is doing better. And like we find out, Andy Circus like puts these like covers on the wall, and like they all have the same actress on all of them. By the way, that would be very difficult to coordinate that to get actresses to be on two magazine covers in a month. I don't think their agents yeah. would let them. It's but. J-Lo. Did you notice that? Oh, and one of them. Yeah. 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 There's other yeah. there's other people too. Yeah. J-Lo, which is interesting given the personal lives of Jennifer Garner and Jennifer Lopez. Yep. I don't. Yep. Yeah. I want to pause a moment just to talk about the fashion really quickly in the movie. Um, the costume designer was Susie DeSanto. And some of her other movies before this included Hope Floats and Miss Congeniality. She did the costumes for those. And then after this one, she had done Yes Day. And she did the recent Julia Roberts miniseries, Gaslit, as well, which is kind of a 70s period piece. So, Uh yeah. And I I like the fashion in this movie, like um, some of it, like 
I really like one thing I wanted to note from the, just the previous scene is the mintish green sort of leather jacket Judy Greer is wearing is like fantastic. And I think that she, Susie DeSanto does a really good job differentiating the characters. Like the eighties stuff, you know, I think it was a little bit much, but like, I love the modern stuff she picked out. What about, what about you for the fashion in the movie? Yeah. The eighties stuff. I was, I didn't remember the chopsticks in the hair that were like looking like spikes coming out of her buns that like totally. I don't think um, that's supposed to be eighties. I think that's very two th- early 2000s. Was that two th- I don't remember yeah. a period. Yeah. And I was like, Bleh! like it totally took me out of the scene. I was so distracted by those things. <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, what yeah. a bad idea. Whatever that came from did. So that was um, edgy early two thousands shit. I kind of remember that vaguely. Yeah, I don't I don't remember that. But is there anything you like though from the fashion in the movie? Uh, no, honestly, oh, okay. Sorry, like Susie, I I, I get how it works for the <laughs> for the eighties bit and her that stuff, but like the the whole look, I was like, oh, I'm glad that stuff. To, I'm glad that's over. Good, yes, pass. I don't like the infamous thriller dress. I like it actually in retrospect, like I think like the, the clothes in the movie, except for things like the mint green jacket and certain other things are not really my style, but I think she really conveyed Susie DeSanto really conveyed like some of the fashion that was ongoing in the early two thousands. Like I like, we'll talk about this more in the women's magazine section, but I've always read women's magazines up until just a very few years ago. And uh-huh. I, and I was kind of in touch with kind of like what the trends were. Right. And okay. I think Susie DeSanto managed to be very like, yes, kind of on or just slightly ahead of some of the trends so that she couldn't convey what a person working in a women's magazine would look like. And then the, also there's a story she's trying to tell where like at first, like, you know, Jennifer Garner's character, Jenna, like she's wearing this like kind of edgy women's magazine clothing. And then gradually she starts wearing softer kind of like more youthful, like looking clothes, like, like more of like her 13 year old self. And she's trying to tell a story through that. Uh, you're right on all of it. You hit it on the head. Okay, so after Jenna fails to get in touch with her parents who are on a cruise, like, and I, that's totally what a 13-year-old do. They would call their parents, like, immediately. That yeah. would be the thing. Yeah. And then she she decides she's going to find her best friend, Matt. And so she gets one of the people at the magazine to work on that. And she does find Matt, conveniently, living in New York also. Yes. Yes, convenient. (laughs) And we're introduced to the roughs um, (laughs) in his apartment. He's wearing a CBGB t-shirt and he's got a blue velvet poster. So they're really trying to code him as this certain kind of like kind of cool guy. And I'm going to play a clip of when she has gotten into his apartment and she's kind of like trying to talk to him. And for her, they were just best friends like a few minutes ago, really a few hours ago. Right. And for him, they haven't talked in a while. So here we go. You still take pictures? Uh, yeah, you know, it uh, pays the bills. Uh, hey, Jenna, what are you, why are you here? Maddie, I told you. Something really weird is happening. Yesterday was my 13th birthday. And then, and then today I woke up and I'm this. And you, I mean, you're that. You get it? Are you high? You've been smoking pot, doing X, falling into a K-hole. you doing drugs? No, no. Look. Sitting in my closet, and I, I, I skipped everything. I mean, it's like a weird dream. I, I can't remember my life. You need to help me remember my life. Me? Yes. I can't do that. Why not? <laughs> I don't know anything about you. All right, I haven't seen you since high school. What? We're not friends anymore, Jenna. 
Manny, you're my best friend. No. Okay, it's cool. It's cool. It's warm in here. It's, it's, it's... Maybe I should open a window. I think I need some fresh air. Fresh a glass of water and a You want a glass of water? Have a seat. I'll get, I'll get you some... You want a uh, glass of water? Do you want ice in that? I want a fucking pillow! A Please. fucking pillow coming right up. Sorry. <laughs> my husband looked over at me when she's like freaking out and she's like, I want a fluffy pillow. And he's like, gave me a knowing look, like, because he's seen a freak out before and he knows when you just need to give somebody, you know, maybe my equivalent of the fluffy pillow, <laughs> oh. <laughs> like some chocolate. Please give me some chocolate. <laughs> yes. That. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. What do you think of um, the portrayal of older Matt? Awesome. Because Mark Ruffalo. So. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. It's kind of funny. Like, uh, yeah, I take photos. It pays the bills. I'd be like, actually, it doesn't. Like, what are you, what's your <laughs> other job? The one that does pay the bills. I don't know. Some I guess we find out he's kind of like a commercial photographer or something because like his later, uh, his like, um, we, he has this like fiance and we find, and she's like, you can take pictures of vitamin oh. bottles anywhere or something. So I guess it pays the bills. He's taking pictures of like things he doesn't really want to, you know? Yeah. You probably can't make as much money as the apartments he's living in or the apartment yeah. she's living in for that matter. But yeah, it's fun to dream. That's what the yeah. movies are. Fantasy. So, <laughs> yeah. So Jenna finds out through the, his, her conversation with him that they stopped being friends. Uh, Jenna yeah. became a six chick, was the prom queen and went to prom with Chris Grandy. So this is where the movie, like, this is the first part. Well, maybe the first part's where she travels in time to her older self, sure. But, like, this is, like, one of the first parts after that where I'm like, how would this happen? Like, uh -huh. how would you go from being humiliated in that closet scenario to, like, being the leader of the six chicks? Yeah, I don't know. Like, something, something happened differently that we didn't see, basically. I don't know, man. I just don't see, like the way that these clicks work and the way that like psychology uh -huh. works when you're like that kind of age, it's like, yeah, you get branded as something quite often, quite early. Right. Right. And then like, unless something significant changes, like you don't really become the head of the popular click, especially if they've already like, you know, kind of sensed blood in the water with you. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, and especially because there's already a head, you know, there's a top dog already. I don't think that she would, yeah. you know, step down from that. I mean, the only thing I can think of is that she was so mean to Maddie. Like she then flips it all and humiliates him and just like totally sells out from that moment on. And they're like, okay. Yeah, I, just, I don't even know if it would be enough. Like, I just feel like, yeah, she might become an underling of the six chicks, but I don't see her becoming the head one. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. But hey, movie. Because people yeah. people don't want to be 30 either. So we're just going with this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just going with it. Sure. They're wrong about that, by the way. It's much better to be 30 than 21 in a lot of ways. It is. But yeah. It is. Yeah. But you don't know that when you're 13. <laughs> no. So before they end their interaction, Jenna invites Matt to a magazine party that she finds out she's going to in a limo that night. Then we're going to come now to the prepping for this magazine party. So I, I like a montage of getting ready to go out, especially like one if it's set to I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston, which that yeah. song was a jam for me when I was like in the third grade. Love that song. I'm with you. Yes. 
But her hair and makeup that she prepares for this party is like very 13 year old, like very bright and sparkly, uh-huh. which was kind of a trend at that time, I think, in the early 2000s, if I recall correctly. And she has like just this like huge wardrobe with lots of shoes, which I never really wanted a lot of shoes. Like, was this relatable to you when you were a kid? Would you would have wanted like I wanted them for my Barbie dolls and I would have liked uh-huh. the dresses, like maybe uh-huh. on the tops and everything. But the shoes. Uh, no, I wasn't like, I must have all the shoes. Mo-. No, I was never like that. What about the dresses? Do you think when you were 13, you would have liked all the dresses and all that? Yes, sort of love all the dresses. The dresses. Yeah. yeah, that stuff's fun. So the dress she ends up choosing is this green, blue, and sort of other colored mini tank dress that has like little cutouts like under the breasts and above the sort of belly area. And it's from the Versace Spring 2003 collection. And so the reason I'm telling you about this dress is because apparently there's been a revival of this dress in the last few years, where on Halloween 2020, Krista B. Allen, who played young Jenna, wore the dress as she recreated the getting ready to go to the magazine party scene from the movie in a viral TikTok video. And then in 2021, Ariana Grande wore the same dress on The Voice. So this kind of pushed this dress forward into the public consciousness again. And then a bunch of people made cheap knockoff versions of the dress that you can buy online. If you search for 13 going on 30 dress, you can find a bunch of these dresses. And a lot of them are available for under $20, there were like plus size versions, the whole thing. So and I don't like it. Don't like it. <laughs> tell us, tell us, Sophia, what, what don't you like about it? I don't, I, don't, I don't like the colors, I guess. I don't like the colors. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe if it were in a different color, but I would never wear that dress. Those cutouts wouldn't work for me. Yeah, it's like, it's yeah. not probably the most flattering dress to a lot of bodies, I would say. And for me, yeah. it would, feels like it would be too short, like... I do kind of like the colors in a weird way because they don't really go together, but I kind of am intrigued by it. I can't stop looking at it at the same time. I don't know. So, and I also noticed about this dress and I don't know if this was on purpose, but later in the party scene, like her breasts are kind of like coming out of the top of this dress. And I'm wondering if this was an intentional choice because like she's a 13 year old who doesn't know what fits her. Uh Or if this was like some sort of fashion choice where like, this is cool to have part of your breast popping out of the top. What do you think? I think that's how the dress is supposed to be worn. And I think that, yeah, 13 year old Jenna would have been like, yes. I mean, because she says it's adorable. (laughs) You know, the girl in the elevator is like, I like your dress. She's like, it's got these great boobs. (laughs) Yeah. Which is so cute and adorable. That's adorable little scene there. So then we come to the magazine party and we have a scene where she's on her way and she's in a limo and she sticks her head out of the top of the limo. I feel like this was a nod to the movie big because there's a limo scene in big Mm, where he and um, Elizabeth Perkins stick their head out the top. I think you're spot on. And I love that it's in midtown and Broadway and all that. And it looks so pretty. And we're at this magazine party and it's kind of dead. And like, they're playing like this, like kind of bland electronic music you see in any like party like this. And so Jenna's method for how she's going to save this party is she's going to do the thriller dance. Okay. And so she goes and she gets the DJ to play thriller. She starts trying to do the dance. And then she sees that roughs that uh, good old Maddie has come to the party. And um, she's like gesturing to him to come and dance with her. And he's like, like any normal person would be if there's one person doing the thriller dance in a room full of strangers, he's like, uh, no, no. Yeah. Yep. And this is reflecting Mark Ruffalo's real attitude for this. So that's good. 
But then he does come up and dance with her and it's like kind of awkward and, and, and adorable. But then I don't remember who comes up next, but then other people start joining them. Yeah. <laughs> and it builds uh, and like more and more people start joining the dance and like, okay. So when I saw this movie, I thought this is unrealistic. Like how many people would be able we, at a party would be able to just like come in and join on the thriller dance. So I decided I was going to be fair and kind of run a poll for it. Okay. And, uh-huh. and you saw this poll, right. That I was running. Yeah. yeah. I ran it on three places. I ran it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So in- interestingly, the, the, the results varied quite a bit between the three platforms. Okay. So I'm going to okay. tell you that on Instagram, almost everyone said they could do the thriller dance if they were asked to participate. And I specified Gen X people. Okay. 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 On, so on, on Instagram, Instagram, almost everybody said they could. On Twitter, everyone said they couldn't. Okay. And then on Facebook, it was it was a little mixed. And uh-huh. so the end results of these this informal social media poll of Gen Xers asked if they could do the thriller dance if they were in this situation. 20 people answered in total. 60% said they couldn't. 25% said they could. And 15% were some version of like, maybe they could or they could do a part of the dance. So that was actually more people who maybe could have done this than I thought. Like if you add the maybes and the yeses together, that's like 40% of people who like could probably participate in this. Yeah. Does that surprise you too? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the dance. I never, I never learned it when I was a kid. Like I, Uh I liked the video, but I didn't love it. Uh Um, and I certainly didn't practice it to the point where you could like, you know, do the whole thing. And then right. to remember that again, like years and years later, but I believe the people when they said they could. So yeah, that's funny. Also from doing this poll, our friend Tim Budashevsky shared a link to a project called Thrill the World, which is a project where local teams learn the thriller dance and perform it simultaneously around the world on the Saturday before Halloween to raise money for various charities. This project was started in 2007 by Inez Markelievich, who's a Canadian dance instructor, and it was founded after her dance group broke the record for the largest thriller dance in 2006. And this is like a really big event, apparently. Um, it is, groups have participated in 33 countries, and this year's event will be held on October 29th, 2022. So if you're kind of interested in learning how to do the thriller dance and <laughs> joining a local community of dancers and raising some money for charity, check their website, which I'm going to share in the show notes, and maybe you can get involved or start an event of your own. I think it's kind of a cool idea. I think that's super rad. Yeah. Yeah. So just one before we finish this section, like this thriller dance scene is kind of one of the scenes that this movie is known for. Did it thrill you? <laughs> um, I mean, I thought it was cute in the way that like, I think there's a secretary and then some yeah. other kind of underling that are like all like oh and happy and and a uh, and and Andy Circus comes and does the moonwalk like I, yes all of it's so completely unbelievable especially from the boss who all of a sudden joins in the fun but I think that's what's also really sweet about it is that you know all these hip cool people do join in. Well, thank you for bringing up Andy Circus doing the moonwalk because I would have been really sad if I'd forgotten to mention that. That's probably the highlight of the scene for me. I think he's such yes. a good, you know, actor and <laughs> physical actor, and like it just looks so joyful on his part when he's doing that. Yeah. yeah, 
yeah, that, that part, like, I like this scene. I liked it more when I had to kind of watch it a few times and just look at the mechanics of it. It hadn't really stuck out to me in the past, to be honest, but I, I, I think it was well filmed, well shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're coming to a montage, and this is the 13-year-old trapped in a 30-year-old body who has money getting to do all the kind of fun things like shopping and eating ice cream while petting dogs and and then <laughs> more realistic practical things like reading magazine publishing for dummies. So there is that book does not exist, but there is the complete idiot's guide to publishing magazine articles. So there okay. you go. And like, so that's Jenna Rink's idea of what to do when you're 30 in New York and you have money. My question is, what do you think your 13 year old self would have done if you had suddenly ended up in Jenna's shoes? Like you're a magazine editor in New York and you have money. Um, I would have gone home. <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone home if I'd woken up and like this whole world would be like, I just want my mom and dad. I would have gone home. Well, remember her and mom then, and dad, her mom and dad are on right. a cruise. So she can't go home. So like, so she like, only realizes pretend this that is, pretend this is, but pretend this is not an option for you. Okay. Okay. You, yeah. Um, I'm, I don't know. I, I, yay. Um, what did you, what would you have loved to do when you were 13 that you couldn't do? Cause you were trapped in Lake Geneva. You had no money. You were a child. Like, so yeah, I would have put on the cool clothes. I would have gotten into all the fancy clothes and, um, I would have gone to the theater. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Hello. I would have gone to all seen all the Broadway shows. Yeah. I think that those are much better priorities too, honestly. Yep. Like, come on, you're in New York. You go and enjoy the culture, right? Like if I woke up in this hot 30-year-old body, yeah, I would have been like, oh my God, this is my hot body. I'm beautiful. And put on all the beautiful clothes and then gone to the theater. That's what I would have done. That you? is spectacular. Yeah. I like Similar, but I think I would go to like art museums. I would have gone museums, to like a bunch sure. of art museums and like, yeah. oh, let's see, 13 years old. And movies. Shit. New York has movies. a great movie scene. And yeah. then maybe I would have tried to find out where Kevin Costner is. <laughs> Although, wait, it would be in the future, though. So Kevin Costner would be, like, really old and, like, not as hot anymore. So maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I probably know. still would have looked him up. I'd been like, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe not Kevin Costner. I would have found a new actor to be fixated on, probably. That's funny. But, um, yeah, with my 13-year-old mentality. I don't know. I don't know. No. Yeah. Same, similar. I would appreciate culture. I'd probably wear the cool clothes and like, yeah, yeah, just go out and about. But I also agree though, that the 13 year old, probably their first instinct and mine too, would have been like, where are my parents? Right. Yep. Yep. And I would have also tried to seek out my brother. Right. And uh-huh. the advantage I yeah. have with my brother is he probably would have believed that I had tra- tra- traveled in time to my 30 year old self. So <laughs> he would have been a good ally on that front. So after this like um, montage of like doing things, we find out that the guy who was in Jenna's house in the first scene is her boyfriend. He's like a New York ranger and Jenna encounters Matt on the street and finds out that he has a fiance named Wendy who she meets and that they are moving to Chicago, but Matt doesn't really want to move to Chicago. So Wendy's kind of introduced as the, you know, the romantic rival foil to the movie. She was kind of meh. I think they hit a good balance where she like seems likable enough, but like you definitely yeah. don't want them to be together. Right. Yes. Yes. And like later there's a scene where she and Matt are walking around and Matt says he doesn't believe in soulmates and he doesn't really seem that excited to marry Wendy, but like it's, it's happening. And 
We also find out in that conversation how Matt and Jenna stopped being friends at her 13th birthday party because she threw the dream house he built at him. And then we get this like really awkward striptease scene soon after this where Jenna's Rink's boyfriend um, (laughs) tries to seduce her by stripping to Ice Ice Baby. (laughs) That whole scene is fantastic. She's hilarious. She's hilarious in the scene because this could be like creepy but she also makes it she makes it funny and he makes it funny like the vibe is not as like scary as, as it could have been sure. um so he doesn't seem threatening in, in a sense right he seems kind of goofy right right yeah which is good because otherwise there were moments where i'm like oh god girl no because she asks she asks her friend she asks lucy should, so should i go home with him you know do you think it'll be okay <laughs> as her little 13 year old self is asking and then lucy's like go go play and then like jenna takes it to mean that they're gonna play like board games or something yeah Yeah. oh man yeah so this brings us to yeah the topic of jenna and how she's portrayed in terms of dating and sex in her 30 year old self and i went back to watch the movie big actually because i remembered that in the movie big Mm -hmm. 13 year old tom hanks in tom hanks's body does have sex with someone he meets um, Mm -hmm. in his older self. And it's considered a pretty normal part of that plot. So the difference in these two plots where like in this one, Jenna is like very innocent and she's trying to shy away from sexuality and in big where he actually has an ongoing sexual relationship with an adult in the movie. Uh Uh Like they could be partly due to the fact that like big was from 1988. Right. And like, so what was considered acceptable in movies in the eighties was very different than what was considered acceptable even in the early 2000s and certainly now. But I do think that there's also a gender element to this. I really do. Mm -hmm. I think that our society likes to think of young girls as being like pure and innocent and like afraid of sex. And like young boys is like, oh, they are already ready to go. They're interested in sex. Like, you know what I mean? Uh Uh And that we should protect young girls in a way that we're not as much told to protect young guys, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so the the character, though, of Tom Hanks in Big, even when he's the kid, the kid, the boys in the movie, the young boy actors, they're already established as being attracted to grown women's bodies and looking at breasts, right? Like, there's a scene with that. Whereas, like, okay. Jenna is, like, only, like, Jenna's, like, character is shown being actively repelled by grown-up men on a couple of occasions. And, uh-huh. like, the only grown-up she has any interest in is the grown-up version of her friend, Matt, because she kind of knows him. Uh-huh. And... That's funny to me, too, because when I was 13 years old, yeah, Kevin Costner, okay? (laughs) I was attracted to little boys my own age, right? But I was also attracted to these actors who, like, seemed so sexy. What about you? Do you think, like, were you – did you have, like, crushes on actors or, like, older men? For sure. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those posters were up on the wall. What are you talking about? Of course they were. Um, And yet, so does young Jenna – with the Rick Springfield, yeah, so yeah. Also, so why yeah. would her why would her like thirty year old why would her thirteen year old self and the thirty year old body be repelled by all these older men? Like some of them, sure, who came it, on too it, strong. Yeah, or something. came on too strong. That's probably it. But like, I don't think like that would be. I don't think she would go. There's another scene then when Jenna's hitting oh. on the young boy at the cafe. <laughs> like yeah. you would have to know that you that was wrong, right? If you were thirteen right. year old. Like, like that seemed weird to me. I think it was just for a, a gag. Yeah, you know what I mean. 
But again, that's, just, that's yeah. a gag you couldn't have done in Big. You couldn't have had Tom Hanks hitting on uh, a right. 13-year-old girl because the 13-year-old, right. like the guy, the older guy and the younger girl is automatically considered like, okay, wrong, Predator. what's going on, alarm bells. Yeah. But this little boy, it's a joke that like he's like hitting on her back. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So gender again coming into play. You're right. Yes. Because the little boy, she hits on him and then he's like, oh, you want to go out sometime? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he he rolls with it he's like nothing wrong with this exactly ah, exactly so there, there's an example of a scene you could not do gender reversed because of the ideas we have about what women and men their their mm -hmm. sexual agency basically yeah like if we were to go back and edit I'd cut that scene out because what does that oh, do yeah. that doesn't propel the plot in any way no, it doesn't. Blah, 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 no, you it know doesn't. it doesn't at all yeah it's like a little gag and like that's about it and yeah yep <laughs> i guess you could say the best argument i could make for that scene is that like maybe she's forgotten that she's in the 30 year old body temporarily i don't know I, yeah whatever and so like yeah and so yeah the plots in these movies are so different 13 and going on 30 jenna only has like one kiss like in her grown-up body well no that's yeah. not true one guy kisses her that she doesn't want to kiss her and she pushes him away but she uh -huh. only has one kiss with her romantic interest. Whereas in Big, the there's a whole storyline where like Tom Hanks in the is dating, like sleeping yeah. with regularly this other woman. So it's like a whole thing. Yeah. And they show part of it on screen. They show a scene where like Tom Hanks is like touching this woman's breast in her bra. And he's like yeah. really good acting. Like he does it like he's somebody doing this for the first time. Uh -huh. But like so would not be shown. I like one thing I would say is like, I think if my 13 year old self, you know, had woken up in a 30 year old body, I think there is some chance I would have probably tried to date older guys my age. If I was there for a while, I think certainly my 14 year old self would have like, uh -huh. do you think you were like very shy at that age? Or do you think your 13 year old self would have tried to date the grownups? I, I mean, I, I feel like it still would have been like, uh, like if I found Maddie, I would date Maddie, you oh. know? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. I don't, I think, That's I don't think I would have like gone with some random, like right. random dude that was in her apartment or like some right. other random dude. But like, if I had met somebody really nice, I think I would have been like, yeah, this will be good. Yeah. But like Jenna, yeah. Jennifer Garner's character. I don't know. It, I don't know if like, I don't know if I wish big had been different or if I wish this movie had been different, but hmm. I wish like there are attitudes towards gendered sexuality were a little bit more even keeled. Yeah. So when Jenna first wakes up in her 30-year-old self and they she's like whisked away to her office, she finds out that she's pretty hated at work. She's having an affair with a co-worker's husband. She stole an underling's idea and then fired her. And the big problem at the magazine is that their circulation has tanked and they need to come up with ideas for a redesign. The workplace being a women's magazine, like when I was first watching this, like I felt like this was a trope in rom-coms, but then I mm -hmm. realized I couldn't actually think of that many. Like I could think of how to lose a guy in 10 days and the devil wears Prada, which the devil wears Prada is only kind of partially a rom-com anyway, but like, okay. it's, I don't know. It still felt a little tropey to me. Maybe there are more I'm not thinking about. Let me know at feedback at every rom-com.com if you can think of some more. 
So, but InStyle InStyle magazine had this kind of like sort of funny article where the employees of InStyle ranked movies and TV shows that portrayed women's magazines. And 13 and Going on 30 got their lowest score, actually. And some of the commentary about it was, quote, Jenna's redesigned pitch is just like a few photos with no explanation of how the content would shift. Also, where was the budget for these pitches coming from? And please show me a 30-year-old executive editor who lives alone on Fifth Avenue in a sprawling apartment with a walk-in closet and pays their own rent. (laughs) So they had things to say about the realism, obviously. Mm -hmm. But they did, however, praise the fashion in 13 Going on 30, ranking it a 10 out of 10. So they thought they really got that right, the, the, the way the women looked at that time. And then there's a scene in the movie where they're doing magazine headline writing, which I just wanted to point out. Some of the headlines they proposed in the movie. 57 ways to have an orgasm. Touch her there, underwear. He loves you, but. (laughs) So I think those are pretty realistic. Yeah. (laughs) It's true. true. Yeah, I went out and I looked up some other women's magazines from around that time, from 2004. I think the closest was actually Cosmopolitan. I think Poise is trying to be more like Glamour magazine. Okay. But I think Glamour had already shifted a bit at that time in their content. Like these were the October 2004 headlines from Glamour with Ashley Judd on the cover. Ultimate sex do's and don'ts. 1,000 men and women rate everything you can do, try, or say in bed. Your Breast Health, a Take Charge Guide to All Your Lumps and Bumps. And I want to say, Glamour Magazine, I feel like every single month there was a thing about breast cancer. Like every single month almost. Okay. And then How to Have Great Style, 314 Upgrades, Secrets, and Rules to Dress By, 10 Signs It's Time to Change Your Hair, and then Is Your Body Normal? Double Check Yourself, page 113. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, which to me strikes me as the closest to the shit that they're, they're doing at Poise. But but yeah. but get, dig these February 2004 Cosmopolitan headlines though. So Alicia Silverstone was on the cover in this tight white dress, and these are the headlines: Exotic sex secrets. We found the hottest techniques from France, Italy, India, and more. Trust us, you've never tried these. <laughs> what his Valentine's gift really means. Your end spot, discover together the amazing moan zone few women know exist. Okay, and I tried to look up what an end spot was. I could not find it on the internet. So I don't know what the hell was going on. And then this might this is the, this is more like a local news headline, but this was the last one. Warning, scary viruses you can catch from water bottles, salad bars, and ATMs. So yeah. Oh man. So I want to ask you, like, I totally read. I'm going to say start to start out. I totally read like Glamour, Cosmo, all these types of magazines for a very long time. My mom had them all by the toilet when we were growing up. There was this like little alcove to put magazines in in our bathroom, and so she had like all these magazine subscriptions, and I would read them in the bathroom. And then I got my own subscriptions in my teen years to so some teen magazines like Sassy too, but to the women's magazines. And then I carried on like buying them or subscribing to them pretty much all through until just a couple years ago when I started just tiring of them. Were you ever a women's magazine reader? Okay. So around 13, 12, 13, 14, uh, I was reading 17 magazine. I had a subscription to that. And I think there was my sister might've had the subscription to sassy or I did. So I loved those. Like I thought bizarre was great. And I loved vanity fair, 
in any one of these magazines, if they had an actor on the cover that I liked, I would buy it or I was too embarrassed to buy it because I felt like people would be like, what's this kid buying Vanity Fair for? So, (laughs) and I think like, well, this is more college. Just at my my mom's beauty shop, there was like In Style mm-hmm. and um, maybe one other fashion magazine. And they they tripped me up, actually. Like, I looked at them a lot, but then I like put pressure on myself to like be put together and shit. And mm. so, yeah, that's how yeah. they affected me. Mm-hmm. No, I think, yeah, they had like probably a lot of different effects on me. Like, I definitely think that like, like the scene with Jenna and her mom, I do think they presented some unrealistic beauty standards when I was younger, yeah. um, you know, about having a certain type of body. And then certainly I never really felt pressured to keep up with the fashion, to be honest. Like I did look at it for trends and I would maybe try to find right. stuff at thrift stores that looked a little bit like it, but I didn't feel like I could afford the the stuff. It was just out of my reach. But I, I think relationship wise, like I would, and I, st- I still like, I read self-help books. I read all kinds of things about like, relationships, health, all that kind of thing. But I've graduated from women's magazines to reading like actual books that are written by like psychologists and people with credentials. I mean, women's magazines will interview people like with credentials sometimes, but they're very much more surface level. But like, I was always fascinated by that stuff. And so I think on the one hand, there are some ways in which women's magazines helped me. Okay. Like Mm -hmm. I still have like all these like different ideas about how to relate to people or like, Uh Just introspect introspecting on how something is going with another person. I think the magazines helped on that level. And certainly there were health tips all these years. Like Glamour had their whole breast cancer thing. There's stuff about like just getting enough sleep, things about what, how to eat right. Like when those articles were pegged as for your health rather than like for losing weight, I think they could be really beneficial. Right. But I think especially earlier than the 2000s, there were a lot of things that were more pegged at. You need to look exactly like this. It wasn't so much about your health and thriving. It was about right. you don't, you're not right. Or is my body normal? Right. Like right. Right. trying to make right, you feel right, insecure. Right. So it was yeah. a mixed bag for me. But I think another good thing about like something like Cosmo and like they were pretty instrumental in the beginning of this was like giving women sexual agency and yes. making it okay for women to be interested in sex and mm-hmm. improving their sex lives, like finding out what different spots were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this, this mysterious end spot notwithstanding. <laughs> like, end spot. <laughs> Do you feel like you ever got kind of like useful, like lifestyle relationship or health advice from these magazines or like, was there any of that for you? Um, I, I mean, I don't know about relationship really, but yeah, I would say, I mean, I love those quizzes. They're the most fun. Yeah. That was that was like a fun thing to do. Like, let's do a quiz. And you yeah. know, that was so out of my league. Yeah, like, does is he Indian? And they're talking about like grown up adults and we're applying it to our like tweeny selves. Do you read then? You don't read anymore now? Do you read? No, any? I I kind of stopped. And this is why I stopped. Like a few years ago, like I would be reading women's magazines and like I would realize I was bored most of the time and I was kind of doing it out of a sense of, I don't know, nostalgia, I guess. And I think a uh-huh. lot of it is because there are these celebrity interviews and they just, I don't really care like what skin products, you know, Sandra Bullock uses or like yes. what like <laughs> yeah Jennifer Garner's like greatest dream is like, it's not, right. I don't understand why I'm at reading about these actresses all the time. I guess like to me, everything started to feel all these women's magazines started to feel too aspirational and packaged and like Mm. cookie cutter. 
And I felt yeah. like a lot of the other ones were cycling through the same stories over and over again. And they kind of were the yes. whole time, right? I just got mm-hmm. tired of the repetition. Like, I, I want to read other things now. Like, magazines seem to me now like a sort of dumbed down, shortened version of a self-help book. Like, and I don't need it anymore. And I don't need to be told what clothes to wear because I've already figured out what I want to wear. So, yes, I'm good. 100% all of these things, Jen, I'm in the same boat. And it does bum me out because I loved magazines so much. I do still have a nostalgia for women's magazines. They were a huge part of my growing up. It was a way of bonding with my mom and other girls and women. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm okay with them being kind of in my past now, I think. Yep. I'm with you. So Jenna, like realizing that she has been such a terrible person at work um, and feeling lost in her life, visits home. And they used the song, Billy Joel song, Vienna, which was apparently a very deliberate choice. Some of the lyrics to this song, slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile. And where's the fire? What's the hurry about? So I like that. It's kind of a song about growing up too fast. And there's this really nice conversation then that Jenna has with her mom about basically choices in life. And like, I wanted to do a little every rom-com theater with that, this one. Do you have a preference for Jenna or mom? I'll be mom. Okay, so let's do, we're going to do this conversation Jenna has at the kitchen table with her mom. If you were given one do-over, anything in your life, what would it be? Nothing. Really? Yeah. But did you ever make a big mistake? A huge one that could change your life? What about that? Well, Jenna, I know I made a lot of mistakes, but I don't regret making any of them. How come? Because if I hadn't made them, I wouldn't have learned how to make things right. I'm sorry I missed last Christmas. (laughs) And then mom smiles. Kathy Baker does it better. Wow. She does it perfectly. Well, I mean, she, she kind of practiced it. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Any regrets that you're like, Oh, would you do anything over? No, I'm, I've really come to feel like the mom, you know, in this movie, like, I feel like this is one of the best scenes in the movie because I think it's just like, so true. Like you can't really do your life over. It just kind of had to happen the way it happened. And like, and you have to take the gifts from the mistakes you made, which are the lessons you learn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that you can make it right. Make it right. Maybe you've made shit choices, but now you can make them right. And yeah, there might, there are some things you can't make right, but there's a ton of things you can make right. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then we see Jenna making one of the things right, right there, apologizing to her mom. Yeah. This is probably my favorite scene in the movie, watching it back. Really? Yeah. Well, I think even, uh, before this scene, it's nighttime and she, and, and Jenna goes into her parents' bedroom and crawls into bed with her mom and dad. Oh, Oh God, I love that. And then they have this conversation the next day. Yeah. Did you, did it give you all the feels as a parent? Yes. Well, even, even me now, like I, I slept with my mom before like several huge life events. So the night before something big was going to happen, I was, I slept with my mom. So I love that. There's nothing like a cuddle with mom. Yeah, no, I I just, I really identify with this scene um, just in terms of the mom's viewpoint and like, yeah, there's just no point. There's honestly just no point regretting things. All you can really do is look at those things and just be like, what does this tell me that I want to do better today? So such a meaningful scene. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now we come to Jenna goes back to New York and she gets this idea that for the redesign by looking at her old yearbooks and noticing Matt's, uh, you know, Matt's photo credit under all the photos. And then she hires Matt to shoot her redesign for the magazine. But here, this was a ridiculous scene because she's already got all the stuff set up for this photo shoot. Uh-huh. And she invites Matt to come by with some cameras. And that's when she tells him he's she's hiring him. And I'm like, right. hello. <laughs> yeah, a little silly. I mean, do we even have to go over all the reasons that this is like not a thing? Like, I don't know. right. <laughs> no, we don't. I think everybody knows. Like, do you happen That's to have funny. the free time, the correct camera? Like, um, do you right. even want to do this thing? Like, oh my God, it's hilarious. Right. Anyway, but it's a movie, so it all works out perfectly. And yes. the redesign idea is for everything to look like sort of innocent yearbook photos. So, yeah, that's the theme. I, mm. One thing I do love about the montage then of this photo shoot, though, is there's the Liz Fair song, Why Can't I?, which is off her 2003 album, Liz Fair. Now, I will say in 2003, I wasn't a fan of this song because I was an early Liz Fair song, Exile in Guyville, Supernova. And those were much more indie albums. And this was like very mainstream music. And I was kind of like, Liz Fair, why'd you sell out kind of a thing. But now I really love this song. It's like, um, I'm going to sing just a little piece. Okay, just a tiny piece. Get a load of you, get a load of me walking down the street and I hardly know you. It's just like we were meant to be holding hands with you when we're out at night. Got a girlfriend, you say it isn't right. And I've got someone waiting to, but this is just the beginning. We're already wet and we're going to go swimming. Why can't I breathe whenever I think about you? Why can't I speak whenever I talk about you? I love, I love it. It's so good. It's so yeah. fun to sing. Like, are do you like the song? I do. And I can see why you would think like, why Liz Fair? That's so poppy. Yeah. Yeah. From like her other stuff, but it's a good tune. You can take it. Now. Yeah. Like I was listening to her when she was singing like fucking run for God's sakes. But yeah. yeah, it's a good song. It's a good song. Hopefully my singing hasn't put anybody off of it. So no, that was very <laughs> nice. Jen. Do you sing it for karaoke? Is that I one of haven't kids? yet, but I think it's going on my karaoke list. Yeah. I've been practicing it. it. I've been practicing mm-hmm. that and I've been practicing extraordinary as well. Her, her pop hits from the two thousands. So yeah. Nice. Very good. <laughs> yeah what do you think of this montage though like of the it's sweet shoot? it's cute but yeah you know like so it, it's just kind of silly i mean it's and like i said really cute i like seeing them together so yeah there's a bit it. where they're dancing together even which is kind of nice like it's kind of brought into the conceit of the photo shoot where everybody else is dancing and so they're dancing yeah yeah hello And then after they finish the photo shoot, they hang out together and they're looking at the pictures. And then Jenna gets the idea that they're going to eat Razzles, which was their childhood snack. Had you ever heard of Razzles before this movie, by the way? No, I don't think so. And yet what they say, but it's a candy that transforms into gum. Somehow that feels familiar. It didn't feel familiar to me. Yeah, I never heard of Razzles. I actually thought they were a made up candy that was for this movie. But so I looked into it and they're a real candy. Mm-hmm. And it was launched in 1966. It only came in raspberry flavor initially. Um, and then in 2004, coincidentally, like um, around the time of this movie, 
The brand was acquired by the Tootsie Roll Industries. I've never seen them in a store that I know of that I can remember, but you can find them. You can buy them from the Tootsie Roll Industries website or you can buy them on Amazon. So if you're having like your 13 going on 30 viewing party, I think you need to get some razzles is what I would do. That is awesome. I love that. (laughs) High five. Okay, so we're going to now begin the spoiler section of the episode. So if you've not seen 13 going on 30 and you do not want to be spoiled, please bow out now and come back when you have. So I'm going to start the spoiler section with a clip. And this is a clip of Matt and Jenna and their razzles after they finished the shoot. (laughs) What are you laughing at? I don't know. Life, timing, being here with you, eating razzles. <laughs> yeah, I've had a really great time working with you this week. Me too. And everything. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Maddie? Mm-hmm. Tell me something. What color is my tongue? What? What? <laughs> what color is my tongue? It's what color red. is red. I don't know. Red. Red, red, or, or tongue red? Razzle red. Show me yours. What? Show me your tongue. Come I'm on, I showed you mine. Showing you my tongue? Show me your tongue. Come on, Matt, I showed you mine. I didn't ask to see yours. Matty, I need to see your tongue. Razzle red. You want to know a secret? Yeah. You're the sweetest guy I've ever known. The Ruffs is adorable in that scene. I just got to say. So adorable. Yeah. He sticks out his tongue for just a second. And then like the look he gets when she says he's the sweetest guy. I'm like, oh, Ruffs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's such a 13 year old way of flirting too. like, show me your tongue. (laughs) I know. Adorable. (laughs) And then after this clip, they're they're on a swing set. And they're swinging, and then they jump off the swings and land in a very suggestive position. Like, how does that happen? Um, <laughs> it, I don't think it does. But then Matt kisses Jenna, and it's really sweet. But then, um, and so that's kind of a close-up, and then it pulls out in like a wide shot. And he sits up and kind of like, like he regrets it. And then she's just laying there, and then she does sit up too. Yeah, it's this, this is kind a, of bitter. Yeah. Yeah, this is another one of those things like where you were talking about in the wedding planner where like their date in the park and then like what happened after they almost kissed like like there's a missing piece there. I feel uh-huh. like there's a missing piece here too. Like they would have talked about it or something would have been established, yeah. right? Yeah, all of a sudden we're back at her place and she's having a slumber party with, you know, the teenagers in her building. Um I read, I think it was on IMDb where the director was like, or somebody was like, didn't want that scene, the slumber oh, party no. scene in because it did, it felt like it took away from the, the Matt and Jenna story. Um, mm-hmm. But then later on was like, I'm glad it was there. It was, you know, it was just fine. And I agree with that. Like, I feel like we have all of these like Jenna growing and learning and, and, fixing things and this discussion with her parents and then this scene with Maddie and I'm in that story. But then like, there are these moments that pop up that's like, Oh, she's 13 and she's having a slumber party and it's cute and stuff like that. It's a cute scene. And I'm, I, I wouldn't take it out. 
but it also does take me out a little bit. It so, removes well, the emotional feel? it removes the emotional heft, is that what you're saying? I think yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I think it works though because I think you do need to remember that she's 13 and this is like the perfect reminder. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like she like yeah. there's no realistic scenario in which it would be a good idea for her to stay in her future body and, you know, be with future roughs in this situation, you know? Yeah. It's just like she's still young. She's not ready, really. I don't really love Love is a Battlefield, though, which is the song that she, like Jenna keeps quoting yeah. it to people like love is a battlefield. Like it's like some profound knowledge. I, right. <laughs> when I was 13, I did not find that to be profound. I don't find it to be profound now. I was never a huge fan of the song. Like, I don't know. No offense, Pat Benatar. Just like she wasn't ever my jam. It was more Madonna for me. And yeah. Yeah. I don't really think love is a battlefield. So <laughs> maybe that's why I don't like it. <laughs> right. So now we come to the redesign pitches um, for the magazine and Jenna and um, Tom Tom slash Lucy have gone their separate ways. Like we found out that Judy Greer's character wants to sabotage Jenna somehow. So uh-huh. first we see Judy Greer's pitch, um, which is all like this like PowerPoint or video or whatever, like with these really kind of disturbing sort of images. And Sophia is going to give us Judy part of Judy Greer's pitch. It will go heroin chic one better. It will OD. It will kill. Cause of death? Chicness. It will be deadly serious. Fashion suicide. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So bad. And everybody in the, in the, in the office is just staring at her like with blank faces and horror and. Like what just happened to me? Yeah. Yeah. There was like a trend towards that kind of thing. And I can't remember what year it was, but it was like somewhere in the late nineties or early two thousands where this kind of thing was the kind of thing people were proposing though. So it it felt true to me in a sense. That's funny. Me and all my fashion magazines that I looked at. That's funny. So let me go to Jenna's pitch and Jenna, Jenna's pitch is she's got these like just poster boards. She hasn't got a video. She got poster boards with the pictures on them to make it up to look sort of like a yearbook or a school project. And one thing I'm going to say, I was going to say this after I say it, but now I'm going to say it before. The first, she shows a bunch of pictures of like typical fashion magazine women. And she's like, I don't recognize any of these women. And I want to note that in those pictures, there were a few like Asian women. Okay. And those, no black women, I don't think still, but like a few Asian women. And she said, I don't recognize these people. And then she shows her photos and everyone in her Ah. photos is like white. Everyone is white, Mm. except for like, I think there's two black guys in the entire photo shoot. And my 2022 self noticed this right away. And I was like, wait a second here. There's no diversity here except for these two black guys who are wearing the preppy sweaters like everybody else. It, it just felt so like conservative looking at it, like the like early 2000s George W. Bush conservative. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is what Jenna says when she reads her um, pitch. She says, I want to see my best friend's big sister and the girls from the soccer team, my next door neighbor. Real women who are smart and pretty and happy to be who they are. These are the women to look up to. We need to remember what used to be good. So like when I put those words together with like what now seems like a very conservative, like non-diverse like pitch, I'm like, ugh, I don't love it. I'm like, ugh. (laughs) Yeah, it was a little cringy. We need to remember what used to be good. I'm like, what was good? Like, what are you talking about? I... Okay. And she just means being a kid. Like in the context of the movie, right. she of course means being 13 and being innocent and whatever, but it's like, right. yikes. 
like yeah. now looking at it and you, and you see the people at the magazine, the actual employees of the magazine are, there is some diversity there and they're just like nodding along like, yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, would they be like, <laughs> I don't know. But her pitch is so readily accepted and like, you know, Andy Serkis's editor with like tears in his eyes over it. And everyone's like, this is the best thing ever. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> Like that's so over the top, and that <laughs> yeah, it was too ridiculous for me. I it was a bit ridiculous. It was yeah, but it's so like ridiculous. a lot of rom coms like have this moment where you're like, this was really going to happen, and usually it's with the love proposal scene, the grand gesture, right? Uh, yeah. Somebody interrupts like their speech that they were going to give to like propose to somebody instead, or you know, somebody races through the airport. I think this is almost like that, but with the job. Because yeah. I think the, the grand gesture yeah. we're about to see is actually much more realistic, the result of that. So then, um, and then Jenna's pitch is accepted. And I'm like, why doesn't she use her cell phone or like any phone to call Matt with this news? Hello? Yeah. Because then what ends up happening is like, he, like Matt comes into the magazine, ha- doesn't know what's going on. And Lucy has found out that Jenna was the one giving information to Sparkle all along in exchange for an, a job offer. So Lucy sabotages Jenna by getting Matt to sign some kind of photo release so that like the photos go to the new magazine sparkle instead and like takes Jenna's job that she was going to get there. And I'm like, okay, like this is all ridiculous because first of all, shouldn't Jenna have called Matt? And second of all, why would Matt trust Lucy? And third of all, how could he even sign these pictures away? Wasn't he, didn't he already sign something with poise where it's like, you get paid this much money and these belong to us. Like, hello. Yeah. How's he going to sign a general release for photos that he would have probably already would have already belonged to this magazine? Do you see what I'm saying? I totally see what you're saying. Yeah. Many weird things here. It's kind of a mess. But anyway, we come up, we find out now that Lucy has taken Jenna's job at the other magazine. Meanwhile, Poise is going to go down the toilet because they don't have this redesign. So, yeah. So now we come to the end of the movie. Everything's kind of falling apart for Jenna. Things are falling apart for Jenna here. And then we also find out in addition to the job falling apart that Matt is getting married to Wendy still. And, and maybe the date's been moved up. I don't know. And so, yeah. She, uh, Jenna goes to Matt's house and Wendy is there and she's like, yep, we're getting married at the, at the house and, you know, real small and this and that. And yeah, it's like right away. So Jenna take, gets a cab to, to get there. And, um, her childhood crush, Chris Grandy is the cab driver. And he's like, Hey, nice to see you. And she's all shocked. And the best part is, is that it's Jim Gaffigan. I was like, this is great. Yeah. But the whole point of this is supposed to be that Chris Grandy's turned into a loser. Who's a cab driver that looks like Jim Gaffigan. And I just, I want to put in that I'm kind of tired of the trope of like yeah. your ex or whatever, or this popular person is a loser because they have a working class job because it's kind of tired and classist. Yeah. Yep. Like, let somebody be a loser because they're mean or, you know, something, but like whatever. Right. So Jenna, you know, sneaks into the house and she like even walks past her parents or tries to ditch them and hide from them. And Jenna finds Matt and makes her case. Yep. So here's Jenna trying to talk to Matt about like being with her instead. Matt. I am not the awful person that I know that I was. I don't even know that person. 
And I'd, I'd like to believe, I have to believe that if you knew that, if in your heart you, you really, really knew that, you wouldn't be getting ready to marry someone right now unless that someone were me. Jenna, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I, I have felt things these past few weeks that I didn't know I could feel anymore. But I have realized in these past few days, you can't just turn back time. I moved on. You moved on. We've gone down different paths for so long. We made choices. I... I chose Wendy. That's her family down there. We care about each other, you know? You know what? You don't always get the dream house, but you get awfully close. Please don't cry, Jedi. No, I'll be fine, I promise. Okay, so that's so sad to me. So sad. I totally cried. Yeah. I burst in tears. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah. I didn't cry, but I really, like, their acting is really good in this scene. Like, mm -hmm. both of them. Mm -hmm. And they both look like they're about to start crying and you're just like, oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. And to me, it's kind of tragic because like, honestly, like, I don't necessarily think Mark Ruffalo should be like leaving his fiance to be with Jenna right then. But I don't think he right. should be getting married if he feels this way, in my opinion. Like if I were Wendy and I knew that he was in a room having feelings for this other person. And he even says at the end of the scene, he says, like, I've always loved you. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. Like she says she loves him. He's, he's her best friend. And he says, I have always loved you, Jenna. And I'm like, if I were his fiance, I would. And I knew that I don't think I'd want to be married to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's yeah, kind yeah. of like, oh, uh, like I feel really sad for this, like Matt mm -hmm. character marrying somebody that he's clearly not as much in love with. I also feel mm -hmm. sorry for Jenna who got there too late. And I feel sorry for Wendy because her husband is her husband to be is in this room talking to this old friend of his about how yeah. he still loves her. So like, oh, yeah. Heartbreak all around. Yeah. And then Matt ends up giving her goes into the closet and he pulls out the dream house, which he still has. And that I found really unbelievable, too, because I feel like Matt would have gone through this like super angsty teen punk phase or whatever and he would have just smashed this shit and he would have been like, fuck yeah. you, Jenna Rank. Like, I don't need you. Yeah. I don't need this dream house. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like it's in perfect condition and Yeah. <laughs> and apparently it still even has fucking glitter on it somehow. Yep. Yep. It has but wishing dust. I tell you though, he gives it to her and she and she's so like trying to keep it together and but crying and can I take it, Maddie? And it just broke my heart. <laughs> so sad. And yeah. This is the one thing to hang on to. Yeah. And it was a great scene. Super great. 
Yeah. And then we come to Jenna takes the the dream house outside and she hears the wedding music starting for his wedding in the backyard and she's sitting by herself and you just see her close her eyes. I'm glad it didn't have her make a wish out loud or anything. You just kind of see some of the glitter like drift onto her and like, and then you just intuit that what she wants is to be 13 again. And so sure enough, she does wake up. She's 13 again. She's in the closet. She hasn't said anything bad to Maddie yet. And when Matt kind of comes to the door, she runs out. She kind of knocks him over and she kisses him and he's like super surprised, but happy. And then she says, we're going to be late. And he says, for what? And she says, you'll see. And then it cuts to them running out of the house as their future selves getting married. And okay. I have a couple problems with this. Number one, like, aren't you supposed to not be in a hurry girl? The Vienna song said to not be in a hurry. You're not going to be late. (laughs) Just pull out and be 13. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then my other problem is, like, and Lee and I were talking about this, what, they're going to wait until they're 30 to get married? Like, if they were together this whole time, wouldn't they just get married earlier or something? Or, like, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes. I know. Narrative symmetry, something. And then my last problem is we see them after their marriage. They're sitting in a couch outside a house they're moving into, and it is pink, which is the same color as the dream house. But I do not see this Matt guy living in a pink house. I agree. Yeah. Oh, but he's so sweet. He would give her a pink house. Yeah. I guess. It's silly. I wish the house wasn't pink either. Who who lives in a pink house? I know. Who lives in a pink house? Especially like in New Jersey. Like maybe if you're like in like little some cute little coastal town or you're in Florida or something. But like <laughs> that shit is not gonna look good in the winter, man. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got it. You got it. I don't know. And like, it almost makes Matt seem like too much of a doormat in a way. Like he's this punk Mm. rock dude, like in this Mm. other, like, and okay. And okay. And then there's all kinds of, okay. And then this comes to the biggest problem of this ending for me. Okay. It's a sweet ending. I will say that as a rom-com, if you don't think too hard about it and just let it be what it is, it's fine. Yes. It's great. Yes. Okay. You're happy. But then when you start thinking about it, like kind of at all, if Jenna had all this knowledge, she went back in time, she started dating Matt, she would end up fundamentally changing both of their lives in various ways. Like just Mm. inevitably, right? Uh He would be totally different. His personality would probably develop completely differently. She would end up being different. Like everything she liked about Matt in the future was a result of the choices she had made in that other past. Right. Uh Well, not everything, but like, but a lot, but he was, he was who he was partly because of the experiences he went through the negative ones too. What do you think? Mm. Like, do you think they were lives would be anything like you know, like they were. Yeah. Like, I wonder, like, what are they, what are they doing now? Is he, is he taking photographs in the city? Like, did they have that at one point? Were they living in the city? And now they're like, we'll go back to Jersey now. Cause they're 30 apparently. And (laughs) what they, what they do in their twenties, you know? And, um, did they ever date anyone else? Like, did he ever get into punk music or did he not? Because he was too happy with Jenna and started listening to Belinda Carlisle. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't think that happened. Like, I, I mean, happened, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, did he like you, for all we know, like the bad experiences he had motivated him to be more successful. And like, he would have been much more unmotivated if like Jenna had like liked him right away. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't you don't think, think so? Unmotiv- no, no. I don't know. I just feel like sometimes our negative experiences sharpen us or they challenge us. You know what I mean? 
And so I'm yes. wondering if he would be challenged enough or if he would settle for a lot less or, you know what I mean? I think his taste, their tastes were already kind of set at 13. He was already listening to punk. He had his camera and she was listening to Rick Springfield or whatever. Do you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. like, I think they appreciate their differences and I think he would have gone on to like art school and whatever. And I can see him continue wearing his like, cbgb shirt and what have you i guess i also feel though that like in both realities it's very unrealistic to me that matt wouldn't have dated women that were much more intriguing to him and compatible with him than this wendy in the one reality and that i don't think he would have only dated jenna in this reality even though he loved her like even though he seemed like he was kind of ready to marry someone at 13 but like if he'd gone to art school and jenna had gone to some different school they never would have met somebody i don't know i don't know I just don't know why they're getting married at exactly 30 years old and living in a pink house as if nothing would be different about them. (laughs) You you bring up lots of good points here. Yes. (laughs) But here's my other question now. Are Matt and Wendy still married in some kind of multiverse situation? So has Jenna actually created two realities now? Like, and in the multiverse, Matt and Wendy are married and Jenna's just like left to deal with like all the mistakes she made and try to figure out what she's going to do next. Now that poise is going under. What do you think? Okay. Uh, I think that is an amazing observation, which brought me to my third um, double feature recommendation. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. We'll yeah. talk about that in a minute. Yeah. But like I'm just, I'm intrigued by this too. And I feel like they are, I feel like Matt and Wendy are still married in the multiverse and they're going to be unhappy okay. and Jenna's going to be unhappy. And eventually something's going to happen to change things. I think Jenna would end up with Matt still. I think Matt and Wendy are not going to work out. I don't think Matt wants to be in Chicago. I think you're he's right. going to figure it out. He's I think gonna- you're right. And, but uh, yeah, I'm, but I'm happy for Jenna though. Cause now she's going to get her shit together. She's going to pick up the pieces and start over again and build a life that she's proud of and what have you. Yeah. I think she could probably yeah. get a job at some other women's magazine, maybe like not in a senior role, but like, you know, writing or something. Right. Yeah. 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 She's got connections still, but she's going to, she's going to go in a better direction. And yeah. after Maddie figures out he doesn't want to be, it's not working with Wendy. Yeah. He's going to find Jenna again, but it's going to be okay. a better situation. Yeah. I like this multiverse. (laughs) Okay. So now we come to our last part of our show, our double feature recommendations. And we're going to like trade off, I think this week. And my first double feature recommendation is big from 1988. I've talked about it throughout this episode. Um, I think like definitely there are dated things about this movie, but just like Jennifer Garner's so good at acting as a 13 year old, Tom Hanks was also fantastic acting Mm -hmm. as a 13 year old and big. Very mm-hmm. funny movie, lots of very funny comic moments. And and it's touching in certain parts too. And yeah. he deals with somewhat different problems because he grows up or he ends up becoming 30, but in his present day. So he wakes up as a 30-year-old man in his childhood bed and freaks his mom out. And his mom thinks yeah. he's been kidnapped and it's like a whole thing. And so yeah. he has to solve different problems and get a job and like make money to live. In the 80s, it was a lot easier for you to... <laughs> Get a job um, if you were a 13-year-old suddenly put into a 30-year-old body with no identification. These days, maybe a little harder. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but he ends up working for this toy company. And so you get like lots of like kid fantasies about working for a toy company. It's a a charming movie. It still holds up. And I think it would be, in my opinion, probably the best double feature with this movie if you want something with similar themes. I start with films from the now and then go back. 
I put the Adam Project from 2022, mostly starring uh, Ryan Reynolds, but his parents are played by Jennifer Gardner and Mark Ruffalo. And that was fun to see them in a little scene together. And I would say that the film overall is like pretty predictable and like it hits all its beats, you know, Um, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. I was I was in it. I was invested to the point that and I was making dinner while I was watching and my husband walked in and he looked at me. He's like, what are you like? He knew I was absorbed. I was not to be bothered. (laughs) <laughs> I was watching it. So a fine film. Enjoy yourselves. It's an easy, nice. enjoyable film. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm interested in checking it out. Yeah. Yeah. So my second double feature recommendation is Freaky Friday. And as much as I like the 1976 version with Jodie Foster, it's fantastic also. I'm going to recommend the 2003 version with Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan as the daughter. And the Freaky Friday concept is a mom and daughter Both are fed up with each other and think that each other is being unfair or not appreciating their life enough. And so they magically change bodies. And the reason I recommend this as a double feature is because it's got a body swap element. It's got a suddenly being a different age element. And how would you react if you ended up in that situation? And it's really funny, like, like the humor in Freaky Friday, both versions. But I think 2003 might be slightly more relatable because it's more modern is really good. And yeah, like just, just fun stuff. And so if you're looking for another light, fun movie, I think Freaky Uh Friday, either version, but especially 2003 would be a good double feature with 13 going on 30. So my, my second recommendation is Kate and Leopold from 2001. It has the time travel element. It has Hugh Jackman and Meg Ryan, also New York City. He, he, I forget how he time warps into the present um, from like 1889. So he's this man out of time and meets Kate, Meg Ryan's character. And, you know, he teaches her about, you know, what's really important in life. And they fall in love and they have to like time work back into his time period and whatever and i i really liked it like i remember watching it or going to watch it and be like eh but you know i didn't have high expectations it's wound up being one of my favorites so wow okay I recommend it. Mm-hmm. yeah and then my final choice is an okay so i was not a huge jennifer garner fan and i'm still not yeah. a huge jennifer garner fan but i think i kind of like she didn't really strike me as having great chemistry with people before I watched this next movie. Like in this movie, I was like, she's fine, but I could have seen somebody else with Mark Ruffalo, right? Like Mark Ruffalo was the one selling the romance. But then I watched Jennifer Garner in 2006 movie catch and release, like before I did this podcast episode. And she is so good in that movie um, opposite Timothy Oliphant. She plays somebody who um, she's about to get married and her husband dies in an accident And then she's hanging out with all her husband's old friends. And Timothy Oliphant is one of those friends and learning about stuff about her late husband or her late fiance. And gradually a romance develops between her and the friend played by Timothy Oliphant. They have really good chemistry. There's a lot of other things going on in the movie too. Kevin Smith is in it, which is great. Like showing up is just like one of the friends, like a funny character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just really, I thought they had great chemistry and it was a good romance. And so I was in it like, and I'm, I had, I think I've kind of unfairly underrated Jennifer Garner in some ways. So, mm. yeah. Okay, so my final recommendation, which really like 
tipped me off from Jen's uh, observation about multiverse and Matt and Wendy being still married and what have you is sliding doors. That's what the whole thing is about is like the Gwyneth Peltro character. Does she make the train or does she miss the train? And you get to see those parallel worlds playing out through the film. I remember awesome. that one. I remember Did you like it. I don't know. Like, I don't think I disliked it, but I just like, I remember when that came out, it was like a big deal kind of a movie. Yeah. We, we really like it. I've seen it many a time and I, I really enjoy it. Nice. Yeah. And quite honestly, can I, can you even think of another film that does that multiverse stuff? Like, well, I mean the, um, the entire MCU, but <laughs> okay, and I mean, actually there is another one, like um, twice upon a yesterday. Like there's, there are others. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I like it because that question is wild. You know, what would happen had I. Yeah. Made this you know what you should do too. Choice? If you, mm. if you, if you like that, if you like that um, story and this multiverse concept, you should read this book by Lionel Shriver, actually a woman, but named Lionel, Lionel Shriver. It's called the post birthday world. And okay. yeah, Ooh. you would love that book. I think like really Ooh. readable literary fiction about a woman making two different choices and what happens in her life. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. A big favorite of mine, and Erin Yost really likes it too. So, okay, fun. <laughs> okay, so we gave you a book recommendation too, everybody. So, yay. yay. <laughs> so, coming up on every rom com um, after this, the next episode will be Groundhog Day with Steve wow. from To Me, These Films of the Juice podcast. After that, we'll be covering Midnight in Paris. And after that, we will be covering About Time. And then finally, we're going to be finishing up the time travel series with Happy Death Day to You, the sequel to the movie Happy Death Day that Sybil and I covered last year for the Halloween rom-coms special. So a lot of great time travel and time loop movies to look forward to. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Thanks, Sophia, for being here. I might We might not yeah. be podcasting for a little while because you got probably beaten back into school and stuff. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was a lot of yes. I know. I know. <laughs> Maybe we can get you back for Christmas. We'll we'll see if we can tempt you back for Christmas because I think this might be the year that we cover the holiday. Ooh, I'm in. Yeah, I mean, Sophie, Sybil, and Serena want in too, but I, a four person holiday would be great for me. You know, I'm in. I, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's let's make it a reunion. We'll we'll do it. All right. I'm in. Yes. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening and goodbye. Bye.